Ride With Us, presented by Ace, the American Coaster Enthusiasts. Welcome to Ride With Us, us. presented by the American Coaster Enthusiasts, a group of super fans with a mission to appreciate, promote, and preserve roller coasters around the globe. globe. It's time to keep your hands and feet inside the podcast at all times. Here's your hosts, Clint Novak and Chris Roberry. Hey, what's going on, everyone? My name is Clint. And my name is Chris. Welcome to the Ace Ride With Us podcast. Woo! It is January and we are in 2021. This is the year of the parks, sir. I would certainly hope so because after last year, uh, let's just not even talk about last year. How's that? Uh, that we're in 2021. Yeah! <laughs> Man, I am uh, so glad that we're in 2021 and uh, I'm hoping that uh, as the vaccines and stuff roll out and as uh, as uh, you know, we, we continue to advance forward and uh, protect ourselves more, that we'll be able to see more parks being able to open this year uh, safely and we'll be able to uh, be able to head on out to those parks and and get some coaster riding in this year because last year was just depressing it was but the good news is that that's all in the past and now we're just looking forward to a whole year at some point of being able to just enjoy things like they were that's right and we have a great show lined up we certainly do we have just one segment this time can you believe that because it's that good what that's right. We're going to sit down with the writer, producer, and co-director of Class Action Park. It's an awesome documentary, Seth Porges. You now, know, if it, you haven't had a chance to stream this documentary yet, you are missing out. I have not, and it's been driving me crazy because it's on. It's HBO, right? Yeah, HBO Max. Yeah, HBO Max. Uh, and so uh, I think I have seven different versions of HBO now, and uh, none <laughs> of them had that one on it. So I like I have HBO Go, I have HBO Hulu, I have I don't know I have so many HBOs, and I first it's like they keep coming out with a new one. But this is something I definitely really wanted to see, and uh, you know just hearing all of the rumors and seeing videos over the years of this park and all of the crazy stuff that they got away with. Uh, definitely interested to hear. Uh, what Seth has to say. And for those who may not necessarily know, uh, the documentary is called Class Action Park because it's following the story of Action Park, which is probably, what do you say, the most notorious of amusement parks in the modern era. What, what did they What did they say in Hamilton? Everything's legal in Jersey? <laughs> <laughs> It was just really, you would look at videos of things that they had at Action Park, and you would say, there's no way, even in the 80s or whatever this was, there's no way that this could have been, I mean, they had like the first upside down water slide, didn't they? They had the only inverted <laughs> water slide. Like full inverting, not like the, the, the cool effect looking inverted. No, this was actually going upside down. Yes. In addition to that, they also had cold water running through many of the water attractions. So you would go from being about 80 to 90 degrees outside to all of a sudden going down to 60 to 55 degrees in a 12 foot pool of water. I can't imagine what could possibly go wrong there. No, no, no. But anyways, uh, really looking forward to this interview. This is going to be fun. All right, let's uh, get that ACE event roundup. That's right, Clint. We've got some great regional ACE events to talk about. We're turning over a new leaf here in 2021, and we've got two events coming up uh, Saturday, February 13th, 
We have virtual No Coaster Con for the Ace Great Lakes region. And on Saturday, February 20th, Fiesta Fest, which will be in person for the Ace South Central region down at Six Flags Fiesta, Texas. For more information on these events, you can just visit our website, aceonline.org, and click on the events tab. Well, as promised, only one segment today. Chris, it's time for Class Action Park. Now, did you ever visit the actual Action Park when it was around in New Jersey? No, I uh, I moved to the uh, East Coast in 2003, so it was long gone by the time I got here. I am lucky enough to count myself as a survivor. Whoa. Class 1995. Whoa. So right before the park closed permanently. And I can confirm all the craziness that I've seen in this documentary. It was all true. That's the crazy part. <laughs> oh, my God. I saw the looping water slide with my own eyes. It was not run, uh, running, but I certainly saw it. And even as a child, I just sort of looked at that and said, there ain't no way. There ain't no way this is right. <laughs> what, what, is, what is the craziest thing that you did at Action Park? Ooh, that's a good question. The River Rapids tube ride thing was pretty crazy because it felt like there were a lot of jagged rocks in that concrete <laughs> i mean it was very natural as in you could very easily get hurt <laughs> oh wow but i think the craziest thing that always stood out in my head was the the alpine slides which i know there's a lot of parks that have alpine slides out there and they're a lot of fun but at the top of the alpine slides because you had to take one of the ski lifts to get up there they had these grotesque and i mean awful photos of what would happen if you didn't break when you went down the slide and they were just they were heinous like oh my skin's crawling just thinking about them i will never forget those though because on the other slide next to me somebody crashed into somebody else because they were going too fast oh man oh, wow. <laughs> i'm having flashbacks like whoa I'm feeling dizzy all of a sudden. I, but So I have to say the alpine slides were actually the scariest part of the day. Ugh. Wow. Yeah, I... I... Uh, <laughs> I, I I can't even imagine. Like uh, again, it, it it's just the video is crazy. Uh, I, I just I can't wait to see what Seth has to say. Absolutely. So, podcast team member Andrew Locke recently sat down with the writer, producer, and co-director of the very popular documentary Class Action Park, Seth Porges. He got to learn what drove him to create the film, and also talk a little bit about the strong reaction that it received, not only from the theme park world, but also from the general public. Here's the interview. Hey, everyone. This is Andrew Locke, one of the producers of the Ace Ride With Us podcast, and I've got a special guest today. Hey, this is Seth Porges. I'm a co-director and producer of Class Action Park on HBO Max. Excellent. Glad to have you with us here today, Seth. Tell our listeners what Class Action Park is all about. Class Action Park is a documentary about Action Park, which is the most infamous, chaotic, insane, lawless, creative, perhaps fun, and perhaps dangerous amusement park that ever existed. As someone who grew up in northern New Jersey, Action Park was my home water park. It was about 30, 45 minutes away from my home. I went there several times as a kid. Very, very fortunate and very shocked that I never got injured there. I did have a great time. It's just amazing that I was never injured. I feel very fortunate in that regard. When I heard about your film coming out, I first heard about it a little less than a year ago 
I went to your website, signed up right away to get notifications, and then was very happy to receive an email from you guys in mid-August that you're going to have a couple screenings. Was blown away that one of those screenings was only about 30 or 45 minutes from my current home here in Central Florida. And I got to see the film with a couple friends at the Florida Film Festival and was just blown away. Yeah, that was our world premiere, man. You were one of the very, very first people to see it. That's awesome. <laughs> like I tell you, yeah, nobody outside our crew had really seen the movie at that point. So while you guys are all in the movie, we're just sitting there talking to ourselves saying, I hope they like it. <laughs> wow. Yeah, man, wow. I hope they like it. I knew I was one of the first, given that it was a film festival, but I didn't realize it was the very first screening. That's really awesome. How historic. World premiere. Yeah. That's really cool. I know there were a few of us in the audience that had been to the park years ago, but I guess I was one of the few in that audience that had been there. A lot of people I know there had never been to the park. They'd heard of it, but they were, you know, of course, rather shocked by what they saw, as I could hear from the reactions in the audience. Yeah. I love that mixed audience because the, the movie is kind of unbelievable. Though a lot of these things occurred, and well, I guess we'll go into more detail about what those are in a minute that occurred but a lot of these things stretch your imagination and your sense of reality to its limits so i think it's really amazing seeing it with people who aren't familiar with action park and then those who are who can basically turn to them and say no this was real this was my childhood and whatever conversations sort of come from that oh absolutely i can imagine if everyone in that audience had been action park it still would have been a great reaction and people would have loved it like i did but to have people there that probably some who'd never even heard of the water park before certainly the reactions would be different as they were people having various experiences or no experience at all with what this really was. This is, again, a documentary. This is one of those situations that where fact is stranger than fiction. Millions of us saw that earlier this year, back in March, with Tiger King on Netflix. You can't make this stuff up. And the same thing with Action Park. Yeah, I'm not creative enough to make anything like this up. So just follow the news. Yep, you and me both. Absolutely. Obviously, we're talking about how awesome the film was and incredible. Along those lines, I saw it in a theater. I was one of the very few. But the reality is, given the pandemic and, and the world we live in here in 2020, you guys decided to go ahead and put the film not so much in theaters, but up into the streaming service. So it went on to HBO Max exclusively. I recently heard that the film is number one on HBO Max. So tell me, why do you think it was so successful right away and so popular? That's amazing. We're a scrappy, small, independent film crew that made this movie and were fortunate enough to find a home that everybody could see it on at HBO Max. So they issued a, a press release a week after we came out saying that for that first week, at, at least, we were the number one movie on HBO Max. And also the numbers of content period after Lovecraft Country and John Oliver. So that's like, take it, Game of Thrones, like Beach of Sopranos, I guess, right? I have no words. I just have no words. And I think it really is just a matter of the time. This is a movie about an era that is about as far from everybody's current existence as one could possibly imagine. A place with no rules, unbridled freedom, and people now are largely inside, they're locked up, and just the contrast, just the absolute sheer contrast of it all, I think really resonated with people. That's a really interesting point of perspective. I have to agree with that. I mean, certainly Action Park was around for a number of years. It spanned more than a decade, you know, basically from the 70s into the 90s. But I would say that the heyday for Action Park 
was in the 1980s. And that's when I went there, kind of the latter half of the 1980s. And I was a teenager in the later, latter 80s. And uh, th- that park was really in its heyday then. And that was the quote unquote wild, wild west. Those days, you didn't really hear about a lot of litigious actions with things that were today. If you look at a person the wrong way, or if a corporation just does a slightly wrong thing, it can be game over. You have uh, lawyers on the scene. And even more than that, the quarter public opinion with social media being a big thing now for the past 10 years or so with, with Facebook and Twitter and others. These days, you can't get away with stuff like that. I mean, can you imagine if we were in an alternate reality and Action Park opened just a few years ago and it was as crazy as it really was in real life three, four decades ago? Just imagine what social media would do with Action Park. Can you even imagine that? The only way it could exist in its sort of 1980s form in the modern world is if there was some law passed like in The Purge, you know, Hamsterdam in the wire, where somebody's like, this area right here, rules don't apply. It's so beyond the pale of just social norms now, for better or for worse. But use the term Wild West. I think that's actually a really important term when you're talking about action parks. It's not just that the 1980s were different. Even within the context of the freewheeling, latchkey kid, unsupervised upbringing that a lot of kids grew up in the 80s, Action Park was still very far to the right of the curve. This is a amusement park, theme park, roller coaster audience. They'll get this, but Action Park was one of the first three or four modern water parks the country had ever seen. It was just an experimental park uh, by nature of when and what it was. You had Schlitterbahn, you had Wet and Wild, you had Disney's River Country, and you had Action Park. Those are the first four water parks. So this template, the idea that a water park would be a series of rides and you kind of know what you're getting, no matter which water park you go to, it's going to have the ride that looks like this, and the ride that looks like that. All these kind of off-the-shelf rides people might pick up at IAPA. That wasn't there yet. So this place was built by these people who just had ideas. They didn't necessarily have engineering or design experience, and they were just making things up and seeing what kind of worked. And a lot of that laid the pathway, was sort of you know, trailblazing in many ways for what a modern water park would be in modern times. That's a really good point because, again, growing up in that era, I certainly had gone to other water parks or places, entertainment venues that had some water slides and things like that. I grew up in New Jersey, and of course, being a typical person in New Jersey, my family and I, we went down to Florida. We had relatives down there, and of course, now I live in Florida. Back then, I was visiting, and Florida had little small little water slide places and parks, and I had mini golf places that, that have a couple water slides up in New Jersey and oddballs like that. But those water slides, I remember as a kid thinking, wow, these are so different. These are so basic and just simple compared to what Action Park had. Back in the 80s, Action Park had water slides that were basically built into the topography of that mountain there at Mount Vernon. And I had never seen anything like that. Now, since then, you see things like that. And like you mentioned, like Slitterbahn and other parks where they are, have much more sophisticated slides. Now, of course, we have whether it be a water jet based or a LSM based launch slides and all this new technology. But again, technology is caught up with modern day. 40 years ago, even 50 years ago, when Action Park first started, this was unheard of. It was it was a bunch of people basically playing roller coaster tycoon and like coming up with <laughs> ideas and seeing what would happen. And in roller coaster tycoon, if you don't build that roller coaster ride, somebody would fly off the track, like that kind of stuff. What happened at Action Park? Or a roller coaster tycoon, if you don't build enough bathrooms, bad things happen. And that happened at Action Park when it became very popular very quickly and didn't have the infrastructure to deal with it. And you mentioned the topography, and that's actually, I think, really key to what made Action Park different. Wet and Wild and, and parks like that, they're basically a bunch of water slides built into a parking lot. You have some towers and some water slides, and it's just a cleared off, cemented area, effectively. Action Park was built next to a ski resort on the side of a wooded mountain. 
And it was a very natural, serene setting. A lot of the water that was used were natural springs, natural bodies of water that were unchlorinated and very cold, I might add. But then the topography, the hill itself, a lot of the water slides, their design didn't come from somebody using advanced engineering and modeling to figure out the exact angle and slope and distance that water slide should be. It was somebody laying a slide on the side of a mountain. And whatever the mountain was, that's what the slide would be. And all sorts of wild things started to happen because of that. Yeah, that's a really good point. I remember the topography being very unique there. Uh, again, it was not flat and there were some hills to walk around. And again, things being built into the side of the mountain, having that built in potential energy, you know, along that slope so the slides could just go down the mountain without having to climb stairs. And in fact, I love water parks and I live here in central Florida, got an uh, annual pass for all the universal parks, love going to Volcano Bay. It's a beautiful park, but as modern as Volcano Bay is, it's basically the newest water park, at least outdoor water park here in the U.S. You still have to climb those stairs for most of the attractions. And it's one of my least favorite things is climbing all those stairs. Well, and <laughs> Action Park was probably more physically exhausting because instead of climbing a couple of stairs, you're climbing up a mountain all day long, carrying a giant raft with you. I mean, this was before places like Volcano Bay. And I actually haven't been to Volcano Bay, but my assumption is that most of the these parks, you don't have to physically carry a five or six person raft, like roll it up a hill or roll it up the stairs. It's waiting for you when you get there. Probably some conveyor systems. At Action Park, you'd be climbing a mountain all day long with these giant multi-person raft and tubes or one or two person raft and tubes. It was exceedingly exhausting. It really tried your thighs just getting through the day there. That's a really good point, actually. And I guess it's been so many years since I've been there. I don't remember carrying the rafts, but I'm sure I did because this was long before the era of having conveyor belts to bring rafts back up to the top of the slide or even the ultimate. To me, and again, I love water parks. I love theme parks and, of course, and coasters, too. But I love water parks. And I have been to a couple of what I consider the pinnacle of water parks in the world. Both of them were actually in Dubai. Uh, Wild Wadi and the Aquaventure, which is a very similar to the one in the Bahamas, where they have the Lazy River, which are always fun, but also is a park transportation system. You literally ride your inner tube around and whenever you want to go on a water slide, you take a tributary off that lazy river that takes you up a conveyor belt up to a slide. You go down the slide, you're back in the lazy river and you can relax and then go on to the next slide. Amazing. I would love for somebody to petition a city or town to replace our highways, which is lazy rivers. I would love to commute to work on a lazy river. Wouldn't that be just like the best? Oh, that'd be awesome. It's funny you mentioned Dubai parks. I, I haven't been to the water parks in Dubai, but I've been to a number of the indoor theme parks. Have you been to any of them like Motion Gate or Bollywood Park or anything like that? Unfortunately, no. And that is because of timings. I've been to Dubai actually about a dozen times. I used yeah. to travel all over the world, especially the Middle East, because of a previous company I worked for. This is going back to the era of about 2007 or 8 till 2012 is when I worked there. Dubai was coming into its heyday in that time period. And certain attractions were opening up. The indoor skiing, they had opened up the metro system. They'd opened up the Aquaventure. Wild Wadi was there. The Burj Khalifa, or what it was originally called, Burj Dubai, the tallest building in the world. I saw that being built during that period period and actually was lucky enough to get to the top of it. Uh, it opened a couple years before I stopped going to Dubai. The one thing I got to do that was like a big deal along the lines of what you're asking about that did open in that period. And I was so excited and I have to explain further. So I love theme parks. I love coasters. One of my big passions. I'm an enthusiast, of course, here, you know, volunteering for ACE. My other big interest is sports cars. I own a Porsche and a BMW. I love cars. So you probably know where I'm going with this. So you can bet when, what was it? 2011, January, I believe it was. I, 
uh, was in Dubai and I took the bus down to Abu Dhabi and I was there for our world shortly after Dude, it that place, that roller coaster, the you know, the fastest one in the world, I think it's called like the F1 race or something it's like that. that. It's Formula Rosa, Formula Rosa. Yeah, yes. Formula Rosa. What a ride! I mean, you you have to sit in the front for that one. If you, I mean, that is that's like top one roller coaster experiences is sitting in front. They they make you wear goggles because if like a stone or a bird hits, you get Fabioed so easily if you're not careful. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like you have to wear goggles and you feel like you're an astronaut. You feel like you're doing things that the human body was never meant to experience. It's unbelievable, just absolutely unbelievable that ride. Absolutely. No, the park is amazing. It's beautiful. Never really been to a fundamentally indoor park like that. Gorgeous theming. Of course, the sports cars, the Ferraris everywhere. The interesting theming of the rides themselves. They don't have it anymore, but uh, they used to have a log flume they had when it first opened. I wrote it. That was basically to simulate you going through an engine of a car. That's what the theming was for that one. But Formula Rosa was unbelievable. Uh, Yes, I did ride it. The fastest coaster in the world. Not the fastest in terms of acceleration, but fastest in terms of speed. And yeah, what a rush that was to ride that thing. And yes, the first two rows, no matter what, have to wear goggles that they provide. Now, in dusty conditions, we're talking about the desert, so it is dusty a lot. So depending upon the weather conditions, if it is somewhat dusty out, everyone on the coaster has to wear goggles. When I rode it, it was pretty clear. I rode, I think it was towards the middle of the ride. I did not have to wear goggles, but again, the people in the front did, and it is an incredible rush. So yeah, cool. those the buy parks are so strange because so many of them are just purely or mostly indoor amusement or theme parks. And it's a scale of indoor park that is just so foreign to people like us from the States. It's also amazing because those places are pretty empty. Like they've built so many of these parks so quickly that there are just not many people in them. So you really can walk on almost everything at most of these parks, depending on what day you go, which is kind of awesome. Yeah, they don't get the crowds. Yeah, I remember Fire World was not terribly busy when I was there. It was somewhat busy, probably, again, because it had just opened. It was the new thing. And not like we see at the main huge parks like Disneyland, the Disney parks, and Cedar Point, and your really popular parks, whether it be a holiday weekend or just sometime during the year when they're open, they oftentimes are very busy. I agree, it's not like that in the Middle East. It's very, very different. I would love to see indoor parks really become more of a thing. We have, of course, the American Dream, which opened probably one of the worst times yeah. given the pandemic and, and the economy and everything. I haven't been there yet, but I do go to speaking New Jersey. Speaking of Jersey. Yeah. Speaking of New Jersey. Yeah, yeah. there we go. Uh, for yeah. my current job, I normally travel there once every quarter. Those travels not happening right now because of the pandemic. But I am looking forward to that resuming and getting up there my next visit and definitely going to the American Dream. I love to see those parks become more common. Of course, they're very expensive, especially here in Central Florida. A lot of the attractions at Universal and, and Walt Disney World are indoors because of weather and whether the heat or the lightning or the lightning capital of, of the country, if I think not the world, and the rain. They have to shut down outdoor rides, especially coasters during the rain. So I'm sure Disney Universal, within budget, of course, would love to build as many things inside. I mean, I'm mean, Amazing, I think, for example, to have like a Six Flags here, which we don't have that kind of park. The nearest thing is, say, SeaWorld Orlando or Busch Gardens Tampa. But see like a Six Flags park with eight, ten roller coasters all indoors would be like a dream. Yeah, they're just the biggest buildings you've ever set foot inside of. It's the entire multi-land park under a single
metal roof. It's bigger than a stadium. It's such a crazy, crazy feat of engineering. Absolutely. The scale there, whether it be the tall buildings like the Burj Khalifa or these indoor parks we're talking about in Dubai and Abu Dhabi, or for example, Dubai Airport, the terminals are absolutely immense. Yeah, I think one of the terminals, one of the main Emirates Airlines terminals, it is, I think, by volume, the largest building in the world or one of them. It's insane there. Absolutely. Your film has been very successful. I loved it. And I'm sure we'll talk more about some of the details that I enjoyed and things that you find interesting about the film later on. I'd like to know what made you decide to do a documentary about Action Park? Yeah, I went there as a kid a couple of times. I was a big amusement and theme park. Our family were big. You know, we went to all of them up and down the East Coast mostly. So we went to Disney World just about every year, Universal Studios as well. But then on more often, we would go to King's Dominion and Bush Gardens, sometimes Great Adventure. We grew up in the DC area. And then a couple occasions, probably just two, I'd say, we made it to Action Park. And I was very young. The minute you step foot in Action Park, it's clear you're not in Orlando anymore. When you walk up to Disneyland, the first thing you see is this big castle. When you walk up to Action Park, the first thing you see is a enclosed tube water slide that goes in a full roller coaster style vertical loop. And it just scrambles your brain. It looks off. It looks wrong. It looks like somebody photoshopped something and plopped it down in front of you. And it's a signal. I think it tells you a lot about what you're about to experience. Basically, what you thought was normal, this is not. The rules that you thought govern society do not apply here. All bets are off. That looping water slide was really just the beginning. You walk inside and you're just overwhelmed with this atmosphere of chaos and lawlessness. And all these creative ride designs if you're a kid, they feel like they're ripped from your imagination. They feel like things out of itchy and scratchy land in The Simpsons. They feel like impossibilities. And they look so, so fun. So fun. And you just feel like this place is strange. It's different. It's obscene. And then you start talking to people. And all around you, you hear these urban legends and these myths and these rumors in real time. You'll look at the looping water slide and you'll ask, can I go on that? And they'll say, oh, no, it's not open right now. Some kid broke his nose or some kid got stuck in it. And you just start hearing these stories. And then people are casually referring to it, not as Action Park, but as Accident Park or as Traction Park or as Class Action Park, which is the name we took for our movie, of course. Something about this place, you just know it's different. So as I got older, I had a really hard time kind of coming to terms with these memories because there were things about it that just didn't square with my adult version of reality about how the world is supposed to function. And we start looking up things about Action Park. You just find these thinly sourced rumors and legends, like a Wikipedia page that sounds like the drunken boasts of a guy in Jersey making stuff up. It doesn't feel real. I realized there really hadn't been much in terms of journalism or reporting about Action Park. So in 2013, I worked with some friends to create a short documentary about the place. And that really brought a lot to life. But more importantly, after that came out, people started reaching out to me with more and more stories. And I started collecting these stories and these sources and really kind of piecing together what the larger story was until I realized that there's something bigger here. And, and that brought me to the movie, which I ended up making with my collaborator, co-director, partner, and friend, Chris Charles Scott. I see. Interesting. That makes sense. So basically, and I certainly go through this myself, whether I see a movie that's partly based on reality or is a true story effectively or something else that I just find about or read about. 
where it's something that piques my interest. And I'm sure, you know, a lot of people do this. What do I do? I Google it. I go on Wikipedia. So this was an example of that for you on steroids, where you had been there and you had then heard stories and legends yeah. about it since then. So then you've got to research this. You start going down that rabbit hole and out comes a short film and then ultimately a documentary. Yeah, yeah. And I think one common response from people watching this movie is, I can't believe this is real. Well, that's the thought I had of my own memories. And that's really what the research and the project and the film was all about, was going into my own memories and figuring out not just was this real, but how could this be real? What was the environment and circumstances that allowed this to exist? And why can't I shake it? And more importantly, the most amazing thing about Action Park isn't that it was a dangerous amusement park. It's that it was a dangerous amusement park where everybody who went there knew it was dangerous and that's why they went there. And that to me struck me as something really interesting about you know, the human condition, about what we are, how we're programmed, that we would throw ourselves into the lion's den willingly for what? For a story, for a thrill, for fun, for something. And that to me, that was something I had a really hard time shaking and just drove me to go deeper. Interesting. Yeah, that's a good point. I remember when I went there, I wasn't necessarily looking at it as, oh, it's dangerous. But I saw it as, wow, this place is so different. I love water slides. The other places I've been to water slides and been on water slides. It's fun and everything. But Action Park is so amazing. It's the best water park. Remember, that's what I thought as a kid. It was the best water park. And it was more than just a water park, as you guys cover in your documentary. It has other zones. Of course, the, the Alpine slides, which I did. One of my favorite attractions there, again, I love sports cars. I love fast accelerators acceleration and speed and things like that which again the the alpine side was great but i love the those boats those one person boats that you guys covered in the documentary with the snakes and the you know oh, the, the yeah. one guy going over onto the dock and those were speed boats <laughs> a lot of the rides at action park aren't things you think of as amusement park rides they're things you think of as extreme sports experiences sort of within the perceived safety of an amusement park so they would give you the keys to a motorboat and that's the ride you just drive around a pond in a motorboat there's no track to it you're just driving around and people would crash into each other constant boats flipping people ending up in this pond and the pond of course was just rancid and filthy with spilled gas and oil. Those things leaked like crazy, but also dead fish and a whole lot of snakes. And if you worked lifeguard on that ride, that was the worst job because you're just constantly jumping into this oily snake infested water, pulling people out. Yeah, I rode that ride more than once each time I went to Action Park. And luckily, I never had any accidents. I never got hit by someone or hit someone else or wound up in the water. Thank God. It's interesting you brought up about being extreme sports or basically a lot of the attractions at Action Park were today the kinds of things if you would go to a amusement park like a Six Flags or a Cedar Fair Park where you have to pay extra, where there's an upcharge, yeah. like a well, Sky Coaster. Some of those rides at Action Park were like that too. Like the speedboats, I think, were an upcharge. Then they had very early bungee towers. Snapple actually sponsored the bungee towers called I think, the Snapple Whippersnapper or something like that. There were a number of upcharge rides at Action Park, but it was still just this idea that parents would drop their kids off at this place as if it was Sesame place as if it was cedar fair park if it was a normal amusement park parents just dropped their kids off and the people working at the park were young as young as 14 years old very few people were what we'd call adults uh, either mentally or legally and the park was run by teenagers it was populated by teenagers and they're given free reign to do these experiences that in the best of worlds with proper training safety briefings care sobriety all of those things might be safe but then you strip all of that out, and you basically treat them as a challenge 
because this is Jersey. This is the 80s. Nobody's being careful. They're trying to one-up each other. They're going down these slides five at a time. They're not listening to that guy blowing a whistle at them. They're just doing whatever they want. And it kind of added up into this perfect storm that just made the park so, so dangerous. On a busy day, there would be literally hundreds of people injured every single day on just one ride, the Alpine Slide. Unbelievable. Actually, Again, as I said earlier, I amazed that I was never injured at Action Park, which is the case. I never was. And I did ride the Alpine Slides. I have been on Alpine Slides where I have been injured because I was stupid. I was a kid, went too fast, didn't break, and then wound up falling off the slide. But it was not at Action Park. It was at another kind of a smaller place like Action Park, although nowhere near as dangerous, up in New Hampshire where I went to a camp when I was an early teenager. And we would go there for the day in the water slides and do the Alpine Slides, and I was just being dumb. A few years later, when I would go to Action Park a few times as a later teenager, uh, I guess I was a little bit more wise, and maybe because of what happened to me a few years before, I knew that Alpine Slides could be so dangerous. For me, Action Park was a very vivid memory, but there are obviously details from this is 30 years ago where I don't remember. And so watching Class Action Park, I just was amazed because, again, I'd been on the Alpine Slides there, and what you guys talk about, how dangerously they were designed, I'm just, again, just blown away that I made it through there without an injury, without a scuff. Yeah, the Alpine Slide, as we say in the movie, it wasn't designed to keep you on. The barrier, the lip on the sides of it was very, very low. So if you were going full speed, it was basically a guarantee you were going to fly off the track. You had to break. You had to shift your weight at certain points. And a lot of people just wouldn't do that. They would pull the throttle and not really know what they were doing. And people were falling off that thing all day long. You take a ski lift to the top before you ride that ride. And you would just see people wiping out below you. It happened in real time. You just have this kind of spectator view as you travel up the hill over the track, seeing people wipe out. And we talk about in the movie, but I mean, people at this park were not very well behaved. You go to the top on a ski lift and on the lift with you is your alpine slide cart. You're carrying it up. It was a regular occurrence. Sometimes it happened multiple times a day where people would just knock their cart off the ski lift trying to hit people below just for fun. That's what Action Park was. Yeah, I remember you talking about that and covering that in the documentary. I just could not believe these things. I had been to the park. I knew the attractions you guys talked about and showed in the film. But just seeing this other side, this edgy aspect that I was very fortunate to not take part in or be a victim of, just incredible. I was a teenager, so I took risks. I rode the attractions like the Alpine Slides, the speedboats, many of the water slides that, again, injuries did occur on. But there were certain attractions that I just, no, I'm not doing that. Looks too dangerous dangerous even as say like a 16 17 year old one of those was the cliff diving it just looked way too crazy cliff jumping yeah. i should say but another is the looping water slide when was the looping water slide built it was built in the very early 1980s and there's differing accounts about when it was actually open one of the most popular accounts it was only open for like a couple months in the 1985 season but the fact of the matter is that's not true it was open periodically for more than a decade well into the 90s and what I love about this, this was a ride they never actually got to work right. If you think about when you go through a loop in a roller coaster, the ride itself is a somewhat consistent experience no matter who's on it because the cart and the track, they're the operable functions here. They're what takes you over there. But if you go down a water slide, you know, no two bodies are the same shape or size or the same wetness or friction level. Or if you just like jam your hands against the side of the tube, you can slow yourself down. All these variables made it almost impossible to ensure that everybody would actually make it 
through the loop. So some people will make it through okay. Some people will get to the top and they just face plant and lose teeth or break their nose. Then some people just wouldn't build up enough speed to make it up and they'd get stuck. They had to eventually install a hatch. But what I love about this is how dedicated the park was to getting this thing to work right. It wasn't a matter of we're going to build this. I guess this doesn't work. We're never going to send somebody down this unholy contraption because clearly humans should not be going through it. It was more we're going to try for decades to perfect this using our employees as guinea pigs as we tweak it, as we iterate on it. As we talk about in the movie, the owner literally would stand by the slide waving $100 bills in the air and any employee who would serve as a test pilot, a human guinea pig, would walk away with a hundred bucks. But however, somebody did correct me. Only the older kids got a hundred dollar bills. The younger kids got 50. <laughs> Interesting economics there. Yes. Yeah, that makes sense because the younger kids probably would need as much talking into to try it out. <laughs> I remember being there in the later 80s and seeing the looping water slide. And again, I would do a lot of things at Action Park that were dangerous, certainly. Didn't necessarily think about at the time. They seemed relatively less risky to me versus the things that I wouldn't do. And one of the things I remember thinking about was seeing the looping water slide and finding out that it wasn't open. And quite frankly, to be brutally honest, inside, I had a sigh of relief. Yeah. (laughs) I usually went with one of my best friends. He and I would be the action park duo. That was one of the things we did during the summers. I don't know if he was interested or not. Maybe we talked about the time, but I was glad I wouldn't even have to make that decision. I guarantee (laughs) you that he might not have told you, but he was breathing a sigh of relief as well. I mean, (laughs) the the air of action park, the chaos, the anarchy was such that everybody kind of had to act like a little bit machismo, a little bit pushy to your limits, put in his face. But deep inside, everybody is terrified at that place because they know these things are messed up they know no human should be going down that looping water slide absolutely and certainly whether it be water parks theme parks amusement park coasters flat rides water slides really a lot of what they're all about is people having that adrenaline of course the physical feeling once you're on it but the anticipation before you get on whatever the attraction is and you're nervous especially that first time even myself i've been on over 300 coasters all over the world. I've been on the world's fastest, the tallest, many, many inversions, et cetera. I love coasters. But if I'm going on a coaster for the first time and it's a little more on the extreme side, yeah, I'm a little nervous. I'm going on it, no question. But yeah, it's an unknown. And until you experience it, you never know. One of my favorite coasters is X or now X2 at Magic Mountain. I rode it the very first month it was open as a season pass holder back in, what was it, early 2002. And I've ridden that ride many times. And that is an example of a coaster that to this day scares the bejesus out of me because of that first drop is the most incredible first drop you'll ever experience in a coaster uh-huh. where it flips you over, you're facing straight down, and you, you feel like you're, you're, you're falling to your death. I'll tell you, the, <laughs> yeah, the, one, the one coaster that I will ride, but I know I'm in for something unpleasant, is the Intimidator at King's Dominion. Have you ever been on that thing, their giga coaster? Unfortunately, last time I was at King's Dominion was about 2009. So I've heard amazing things. I need to get on yeah, it. It's it's the gray out machine. I mean, nobody walks off that thing without graying out. And it's such a strange experience because typically when you get to the end of like any sort of thrill ride, the typical response is everybody like whooping and cheering and clapping and all that stuff. When you get to the end of Intimidator 305, your whole car is just staring at each other in silence. What was that? Because you're just on this car with like 30 people who all just 
grayed out in unison and have a feeling that they probably suffered oxygen deprivation to their brain or something. It's a weird experience, but I'm kind of amazing. Yeah, I've heard that about I-305. I-305 being one of only a handful of giga coasters in the world, one of the few that's built by Intamin. They're basically all the giga coasters are have been built either by Intamin or B&M. And in general, B&M is known to be not as forceful, a little more smooth experience, whereas <laughs> Intamin, whether it be their giga coasters or other coasters, is more thrilling, a more aggressive layout and pace. Pacing. Intamin actually is my favorite coaster designer, coaster manufacturer. Some of my most favorite coasters are Intamin's. I-305, I've not been on yet, but I've heard amazing things about it and how it's similar in terms of its layout, at least to some of my favorites like Maverick and Soaring with Dragon that I have been on. Uh, so I need to get on it, certainly. It will mess with you. If you're not aware of what you're going to go through, you really kind of have to warn people. You have to kind of tell people you're going to lose your vision for a couple of seconds, but you're going to maintain your consciousness. You're going to think you're blacking out. You're not blacking out. You're just going blind temporarily you really need to warn people because i can imagine people just losing their vision and freaking out thinking like they're about to die it is such a weird experience yeah i can imagine gotta get on that like me you had been action park years ago and then recollecting about it in more modern times drove you to research it and, and make this amazing film class action park so i gotta ask what would you say is the number one most shocking thing that you discovered during your research for this documentary? It was just this idea that the danger was so well known and such a part of the appeal of the park. The owner realized that every time a newspaper headline would come out, warning people about how dangerous this park was, attendance would spike. And that to me was just something like any individual crazy ride. There were ones that blow your mind. You know, you jump off a 23-foot cliff and then somebody lands on your head. That would happen every day. Or you would get shot out of this Cannonball Falls tube water slide that would just drop you 10 or 15 feet over a pool of freezing cold water. Or the speedboats, they give you a speedboat. Or the racing cars. They weren't go-karts. They were full-on Lola racing cars. They go 60 miles per hour. It was right next to the beer tent. So people just get liquored up and basically it was drunk driving the ride. Any one of these rides is insane, but it's the idea that everybody knew what this place was and that's what made it so popular. That to me was what makes this place so, so interesting. I see. So basically the fact that people knew, you know, the internet didn't exist back then, but the quote unquote internet of the day, the newspapers and word of mouth. Or the schoolyard chatter, you know, right. it's just like things whispered about in the playground. You go back to school on Monday and people would have cuts and scars and abrasions. And they'd be showing them off the people and it'd be, like, oh, so you went to Action Park because you have this scar on you. And so it became this whispered about thing, the schoolyard game of operator, that network of how kids, high school, middle school, even elementary school kids communicated back then, which is largely sort of not understood, I think, by by kids today, as I say, who have their social media and their cell phones. So, but, but back then, things were whispered about and they become these fish tales and these legends and these rumors. And Action Park was such a big one because people would come back to school with visible scars, visible injuries from this place. People then viewed it as a challenge. So somebody would invite them to go to Action Park, this place where they just saw their friends' scars from it. Are you going to say no to that? Are you going to let the state of New Jersey, your, your friends, know that you're a chicken? So it became this kind of rite of passage as kids knew this place was messed up and they felt like they had to go through those gates. They had to experience it for themselves or else they would be a chicken. And that's what this place was. And that's so, so 80s, so Jersey, so interesting about this place. 
Good point. Good point. I mean, I, I would say I went there for two different reasons. One was to have fun, go with my friend and so forth. But the other was, I remember feeling while I was there and going on certain attractions and, and experiencing them and being brave enough to do them. And then afterwards feeling, wow, okay, I had the guts to do this and I have my badge of courage. Nobody gets off of Pirates of the Caribbean and high fives their friend because they made it to the end of Pirates of the Caribbean. Nobody is, we did it, man. We made it through the Haunted Mansion. But rides at Action Park, just getting to the end of them, it, it was something like skydiving or bungee jumping or rock climbing or going down that triple black diamond ski slope where you have to really gulp, take a breath and say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And you get to the end and you feel different about yourself. You maybe had more confidence. You maybe found something within you that you didn't know you had. Of course, the dark side of this is that a lot of people did get hurt and some people even did die because these were truly dangerous experiences. That's certainly true. That actually reminds me of something that's interesting to talk about. I love documentaries. I see all sorts of political ones, things about the environment, about history, and certainly Class Action Park is about history. It's about uh, water park or theme park history. When you look at documentaries that are about serious topics that involve some level of seriousness, you have kind of two kinds. You have, say, things like The Cove or Racing Extinction, which are both environmental documentaries, which are very serious. And again, they're very serious topics, but there's not really any comic relief, any kind of levity. It's serious the whole way through, very intense. And then you have a, a documentary like Class Action Park, which again, it's all about people getting injured, people dying in several cases. With your documentary, it's kind of like a roller coaster ride, or like a water slide, it's up and down. You have funny moments, you have your wow moments, and then you have those really serious, sad moments about covering death. But you guys go through those range of emotions, and I felt that in the theater. I heard that in the theater with people, again, laughing, people aghast, and then people just in shock and feeling sad. Yeah. And I think that's one of the most successful things about your documentary is kind of like Tiger King in its own right certainly was one of those where it was funny and serious and bad things happened in it very tragic things happened in it to animals and people and you have that mix and I think that's what can make a documentary very successful is where it can cover those range of, of emotions and styles yeah the movies to one degree it's about this very specific amusement park but it's really about kind of growing up in the 1980s and I think another reason our movie I think really struck a chord is because even if you didn't grow up in the tri-state area even if you never heard of Action Park, if you grew up in the 80s, you likely had your own sort of foolish, self-destructive experiences that you look back at and you say to yourself, how am I still alive? People would build crazy BMX ramps or break into mental hospitals or swim in quarries. Some kids didn't make it. And I think the common response is people look back and they're like, that was the best time of my life. I should be dead. It's not enough to simply deconstruct this dangerous place and do serial style true crime treatment to it. We wanted to put people into the mindset, the shoes of a 1980s kid, show them the appeal of this place, show them what drove people to do these things in the first place. Because that's the most interesting thing about this place. It's not, oh my goodness, this was this place run by criminals where all these bad things happened. That's not what's interesting about it. What's interesting about it is that millions of kids willingly went there. I wanted to understand why. And when people look back at these places, their emotions are conflicted. They are complex. One of the big questions we wanted to answer was, why is it that the latchkey kids of the 1980s are the helicopter parents of today? Why <laughs> is it that these kids who grew up going through these things are the same people who micromanage their own kids' childhood? What did they experience that made them say, I want my kid to never, ever, ever have to go through that? And I think you can simultaneously look back fondly at your childhood and also say that 
was so terrible. We should never have been allowed to do that. Very, very interesting. You know, one of the things I was thinking about earlier on in our discussion was about how different parents are then versus today. For example, when I went to Action Park, I never went with my parents. My parents dropped me off or later when I was able to drive and had a driver's license, my friend did. We would go ourselves. And I was thinking about that era, how, again, parents were rarely seen in these parks. Parents were fine with that. They had no idea what their kids were doing. Kids could be going to Action Park and they'd have no idea. It wasn't an expensive place to go and it was really easy to sneak in. You just had to pick up a discarded wristband off the parking lot, flop it on your wrist and walk in. It wasn't a hard place to go if you're a kid without any resources. That's a good point. That's true. So you go from that where parents were just very laissez-faire and just didn't know or were fine with it or whatnot versus today where parents are, you said, helicopter parents and micromanaging their kids. And again, there's a lot more complexity to society especially with social media, where there's so many more navigable dangers for kids that parents have to help their kids navigate. I was thinking about that helicopter parenting being so different today. Certainly Action Park was well known for me growing up in New Jersey, but there are a lot of people that didn't know about it that are seeing this film and whatnot. But you have to wonder the hundreds of thousands or maybe, I guess, millions over time of people that went to Action Park over the several decades, how many of those kids that are now 30, 40, 50 years old that are parents and maybe partly because of Action Park, that's why they're helicopter parents. 100%. And if it wasn't Action Park, it was something else you did. If you grew up somewhere else in the country, you were very likely doing some sort of self-destructive, creative, self-driven activity that in hindsight was truly bonkers. And you ask yourself, how am I still alive? And you say to yourself, I would do anything to keep my kid from going through that as well. But at the same time, that was awesome. And that is what's so interesting and complex about this. And yeah, man, I think there's this kind of collective trauma, honestly, of the millions of kids who grew up going to places like Action Park that isn't spoken about much because so many of them saw horrific things happen. Maybe they got hurt themselves, whatever it is. That's your childhood. But you know, man, that was messed up. Makes sense. Crazy, crazy. So I have a, a number of people, whether it be for personal friends I know that I hang out with or people that I know from, say, social media that are fellow enthusiasts or whatnot. I've mentioned Action Park over the years and more recently, of course, this documentary class Action Park to friends and whatnot and the other enthusiasts. Often when I mention it to people, the reaction is, oh, I've already seen that on Defunct Land. Can you maybe expand upon that, how class Action Park is different than what Defunct Land did? So first of all, all the props in the world to Defunct Land. It's one of my absolute favorite YouTube channels. I just love everything they do. They just put out a feature documentary called Halix, I think it's called. That's just awesome that everybody should check out. But it's just a different beast. I actually made my short documentary about Action Park, I think four years before Defunct Land's web video. And we both kind of tread across similar territory in those two things, which was sort of the widely reported legendy stuff about Action Park. But what Class Action Park does that I don't think anybody's ever done is actually talk to the people who lived it, the employees, the managers, the victims of the park. And it's not just simply, okay, I know the facts about Action Park. I don't need to see this because that's not what our movie is about. It's not about the chronology. It's not a documentary that's just, here's an encyclopedia, give you all the information. It's a movie about growing up in the 1980s. It's a movie about these experiences and how they have shaped this entire generation of people in a way that I don't think is widely addressed. The Generation X upbringing is a strange beast that's so different from how kids are growing up today that hasn't really been, I think, put out there in the media in any way outside of the abstract. You sort of see in things like Stranger Things or actual 1980s movies like Goonies, Niti, just how disinterested and absent the parents are. But that's just kind of a 
background bit of it. It kind of feels fictionalized because these are works of fiction. And we really wanted to do is create something that shows that this was actually how kids were growing up. And what does that mean? And why were we like this? And how was that different? You might think, you know, the whole story about Action Park, I promise you, you don't. I promise you there's things in here that are very new to you. But more important than that, the movie's not really about Action Park. It's about growing up in the 80s. Yeah, that's a really good point. In a way, Action Park is the theme and overall background of a story about this kind of like we were talking about earlier, Wild Wild West of growing up in the 80s in New Jersey and, and the corruption. And that, that's an interesting way to describe it. And definitely having seen Class Action Park, I agree, it's, it's a, very much along those lines. We have this history that you very well documented. Now everyone can see. Here we are 30, 40 years later. What lessons do you think that people who work in the theme park, amusement park, water park industry, what lessons do you think they should take away from Class Action Park? I'll tell you a story. When I was a kid, we went to Disney World all the time. And my single most memorable experience, my favorite experience I ever, ever had at Disney World was the one that is most likely probably to get somebody fired for allowing it to occur. The things that stick with us are the things when it's the errors and the stamps. It's when things feel like they've gone wrong. They feel like they're unique. They feel like they're special. When I was at the Magic Kingdom, I must have been seven or eight years old. It was pouring outside and I was with my brother and people just cleared out because it was raining. And we were near the Jungle Cruise in Adventureland. And we asked the skipper who's just standing there by the boat. It's like, is this ride open in the rain? And the guy says, yeah, but nobody's here. So private, private ride on the Jungle Cruise. So he takes us on the Jungle Cruise. I must have been seven years old, my brother maybe 10. And he proceeds to tell us the Jungle Cruise shtick. It's like a bad Porsche <laughs> belt comedy routine, right? Well, dad jokes. He <laughs> throws away the dad jokes and instead gives us all of the R and X rated jokes that clearly these guys had made up in the break room and that they were never, ever, ever allowed to say on the Jungle Cruise. <laughs> so, things that stick with me to this day because they're so obscene and so hilarious and so amazing. And that was the best memory I ever had from going to Disney World. Action Park stuck with people because you never knew what was going to happen. And I think now, of course, we don't want amusement parks where people get hurt. Of course not. But I think things are so predictable now at amusement parks that people might feel like they've been on a ride once and that's it. And what made Action Park interesting was that every time you rode the thing, it was going to be different. You never knew what was going to happen. You never knew what you were going to see. And so finding ways to make rides, first of all, give the rider a feeling like they're in control to some degree, even if it's sort of fictitious and an illusion, but also creating experiences that feel a little bit chaotic around the edges in a safe way. I think those are the things people remember the most. Perhaps what you're saying is in the frame of where we are in the modern day, the uses of technology and computer-aided design and, and complexity that comes along with that, that you would encourage, say, Imagineers and ride designers to come up with ways to make things seem more edgy than they are. Yeah, and I'm not talking about, oh, we can have star tours where you can ride it multiple times because there's a different pathway. That's not what I mean. What I mean is the best memories I have on rides are when the ride breaks down and you walk off it. You're on Spaceship Earth, you hope that ride breaks down and you can walk off it. When you're on Space Mountain, you hope the lights go on. That's your dream. And I understand they don't want these rides to break down. They want these things to work properly, of course, but that's what you hope for. And I don't know how you capture that in a way way that works within operational standards. But you got to think that's what really makes the memories for people is when things go wrong, people want that. 
That's a really good point because certainly not maybe a long time ago, but in more modern days, whether it be with coasters or other types of attractions, I can think of multiple examples where the story of the ride plays Something out. Something goes horribly wrong. Yeah. You know, it's, it's yeah. just a tore through a dinosaur area until something goes horribly wrong. Right. Yeah. yeah. That'll, that'll yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Or like Everest at Animal Kingdom, where it was the big deal when it opened. What was it back in about 2006, where you go up the normal lift hill and you go through a drop and some curves and whatnot. And then you go up another hill and oh, my God, the track's been destroyed. What's going to happen? And you stop and you don't know what's going to happen. And that is an amazing thing about that ride. And to this day, people experience it for the first time. So you, you do bring up a good point that what people are looking for thrills. They're looking to be immersed, but they're also looking for that story where things shocking happen and how it plays out. Yeah, it's not just that. It's people want things that they know are off script. That's what they right. want. The most valuable stamps aren't the stamp. It's the one with the error, right? It's people want a thing that's different. Now, of course, the entire existence of a modern amusement park is to keep this stuff from ever happening. And I think people realize that. And I think to some degree, they sort of resent it. That's a good point. So you and your partner made this amazing documentary class action park. And you, it sounds like you put your heart and soul into it. And it really shows and it's outstanding. Any thoughts on what your next project might be? There are other legends of the theme park world some may be more modern and some may be older. One I can think of that a lot of us as enthusiasts talk about because there's so few of us that ever got to experience is Hard Rock Park. <laughs> I would love the good Hard yeah. Rock. Oh, the, uh, was it Knights of White Sa- the Moody Blues ride? That yes. sounded It sounded awesome. (laughs) I'm obsessed with strange amusement parks that are built by strange personalities. We talked about in the movie this idea that amusement parks are often auteur creations, the personification of some individual's worldview. Walt Disney was very specific in his vision for what Disneyland and eventually Disney World would be. And then Gene Mulvihill, Build Action Park, was very specific about what his vision would be. This place with no rules and chaos and strange contraptions. I love that idea. I don't have any immediate plans to make another amusement park documentary, but There's a bunch of wild stories out there in the amusement park world that I would love to dig into, of course. That's awesome. Hopefully that'll happen. I look forward to seeing something else from you. I mean, for certainly here at ACE, one of the things we really pride ourselves on and ACE is very much about is about the preservation of history of classic rides and especially coasters. And we have the ACE landmark system for classic coasters and whatnot. And certainly one of the things that we're very proud of uh, more recently here at ACE is uh, our own documentaries. For example, uh, the Legacy of Arrow documentary, who actually uh, that documentary I mean, it was actually done by our very own Chris Roberry, one of the hosts of this podcast. And I've seen that multiple times and absolutely love it. Certainly documentaries are a big part, especially these days, whether it be there on YouTube or they're in a movie theater or on a streaming platform of some sort where we really can cherish and go into depth on the history of whether it be a crazy water park of days ago or a certain coaster developer. The very first steel coaster was developed by them and came up with so many designs. One of the ones we talked about earlier, of course, X2 and so forth. And the Legacy of Era documentary is loved by so many people. I really think it's awesome that you created this documentary about this crazy, crazy water park. And I actually personally want to thank you because long before I knew of your documentary, I have told people about it park and they cock their head they think i'm crazy yeah. Hear that guy in Jersey making up stories at a bar. And that response is so, so common where nobody believed me, but this was all real. And that's why I think it struck a chord. The fact that people who grew up going to the park like the movie, that means a lot to us. Because if we had gotten it wrong, the whole state of New Jersey would have let us know. (laughs) Right, I'm sure. So now, instead of having people give me these weird reactions, like they don't believe me, they think I'm telling a tall tale. Now I can refer them to, you know, perhaps your website. And of course, you know, going on HBO Max and seeing the movie. I'm guessing the trailer for your film is 
that available on your website so people can see that? Yeah, I mean, or on YouTube. Just, you know, search for Class Action Park trailer. You'll find it. Great. Excellent. And actually, along those lines, in closing here, uh, I know we talked about it earlier, but just so people know, because maybe they're even more interested now than they were in the beginning of this interview about seeing the film, remind our listeners how they can watch the full uh, Class Action Park documentary. Yeah, it's on HBO Max right now. If you have HBO, you can just use your HBO login at hbomax.com and you can see it or you can just download the HBO Max app. Awesome. I'm sure many of our listeners will be uh, watching it soon if they haven't already. Well, thank you very much, Seth. I really appreciate your time today. Great time talking to you. Great discussion. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that settles it. I already needed to go see this documentary and now I'm just going to go get HBO Max on my way home and I got I'm watching this tonight. I have to. Well, hopefully you don't watch it in your Tesla as you're driving. Uh, is there any other way to watch TV? Boy, that's a good point. All right. Yeah, you got me there. <laughs> uh, just for those uh, listening, I do not watch TV in my Tesla while driving. Okay. Not until Elon Musk gives the thumbs up that self-driving is 100%. And I don't know when that will ever happen. <laughs> But no, that's a great interview. Uh, Really, really happy that we were able to uh, get all of that insight into the uh, documentary. And uh, I'm I'm excited. I got to watch it. Yeah, it really is shocking and entertaining. And again, one of those great legends in the amusement industry that you just absolutely have to see to believe. Yep. Wow. Uh, do you have a topic that you would like us to discuss in an upcoming show, or maybe somebody that we would uh, you would like to hear us interview? You should definitely drop us a line. Podcast at aceonline.org. Let us know your thoughts, opinions. Or who do you want us to talk to? And we'll uh, bring them on the show if uh, if we can get them, and we'll chat with them about uh, all of that interesting stuff. And if you even send us as an audio file, you might just hear yourself on the show, too. So be sure to get those things in podcast at aceonline.org. You'll be a part of the action. Uh, It's not just us who make this this podcast possible. Uh, Me and Chris obviously uh, uh, do this part of it, but there's a lot of people behind the scenes who also help out. That's right. So a big thanks to our entire podcast team and of course in this episode thanks to andrew Locke for getting that interview with us and editing that thing down it was a beast but we're glad we was able to get it in yep thank you very much andrew and uh, that pretty much wraps up uh, ride with us for uh, this episode but we look forward to uh, coming up uh, in our upcoming episodes as it starts to warm up outside uh, i can look forward to that right chris i know we're still months away from warm-up but i can i can start looking forward to it right Absolutely. There's no law against that. All right. Looking forward to it. All right. My name is Clint. And my name is Chris. Have a great day, everybody. And we hope to ride with you soon. Bye, guys. Ride With Us is volunteer produced by the American Coaster Enthusiasts. ACE is a registered 501c3 charitable organization founded for the preservation and enjoyment of roller coasters around the world. Visit aceonline.org for more information.